Hello, everybody, and welcome to Behind Enemy Lines. I'm your host, Alejandro Suniga, here from the Michigan Insider, michigan.247sports.com. Michigan football team is back in the Big Ten Championship game for the third year in a row. They have beaten Ohio State for the third year in a row, and they are seeking a berth in the college football playoff. You guessed it, for the third year in a row. I know there's a lot to talk about with that Ohio State game, and I know if you're listening to this, you might have your eyes on the Rose Bowl or the Sugar Bowl or the college football playoff in general. That has been the stated goal of this team since the very beginning. In February, Blake Corum said he's coming back to win a national championship. So this may be just another stepping stone, but the margins are very thin. It is a four-team playoff, and Michigan cannot afford a loss. You want to keep the fate in your hands. So Michigan, Iowa, Saturday night at Lucas Oil Stadium. It's going to matter a lot. Michigan has never won three outright Big Ten championships in a row before. It has a chance to make history. It's 1,002nd win and a guaranteed berth in the college football playoff. That's on the line. 60 minutes to go win that. So let's preview the Iowa Hawkeyes. Maybe not the most offensively imposing team that Michigan has faced this year, but they win games. They are 10-2. and two. They are one controversial, possibly blown call away from being 11-1 and one and competing for a college football playoff berth themselves. So let's preview what to expect from the Iowa Hawkeyes down in Indianapolis. I've got as my guest today, David Eicholt from the Iowa Hawkeye Insider, part of our 24-7 sports network, to take us behind enemy lines. Here's my conversation with David. But it feels like not that long ago, David, that we were in Indianapolis for Big Ten Media Days previewing the Big Ten season. And I don't think I was alone in thinking that Michigan and Iowa could meet in the Big Ten Championship game. And and here we are. It's going to happen Saturday at Lucas Oil Field uh, down in Indy, but not quite the way we expected it to, right? Um, yeah. On the Michigan side, at least on the field, things have played out about how most people expected, but from Iowa's perspective, uh, I thought Cade McNamara, Eric All, Cooper DeGene, you know, these were the guys who were going to get Iowa back uh, mm-hmm. and the Michigan transfers maybe elevate that offense. Uh, but here we are in a season that for Iowa has to feel like one of the most unlikely seasons uh, to have 10 wins to be in a conference championship game. So, David, I know you've covered this program for a while. Am I wrong in thinking that? It feels like this has to be one of the most impressive, frustrating, just incomprehensible seasons, at least in recent Iowa history. Yeah, man, I feel like I've aged about 10 years covering this team. There have been so (laughs) many things that happened, and I'm with you. I picked Iowa-Michigan preseason. I had Iowa winning 10 games. I didn't think Wisconsin would really live up to what they were expected. I thought there was way too much turnover. You know, a total offensive philosophy change. I thought they'd go eight and four. Uh, but if you told me at the beginning of the year, you saw that opening graphic, right, after the Iowa made the Big Ten title with Michigan, it was Deacon Hill and I think Blake Corum. I mean, what are Iowa fans thinking at that point if that if they see that back in August, right? Uh, but you're right, man. I mean, I, I would vote for, you know, Kirk Ferentz as a strong case for Big Ten Coach of the Year. Some of it was obviously self-inflicted adversity with, with Brian Ferentz returning, but – 
as you mentioned, like I don't think Iowa's offense would have been substantially better, but would not be statistically the worst offense in the country. Uh, if Cade McNamara had been fully healthy, he was never healthy this season, so I try not to judge him too much on this season. Eric All ended this uh, season as the team's leading receiver, despite being knocked out more than a month ago. Uh, Luke Lachey going down early on in that week, I believe it was week three in the first quarter. And obviously, I think the most deflating injury for Iowa, if it wasn't Cade McNamara, it was Cooper DeGene. I mean, you talk about a guy that you know, locked down half the field, would have gotten my vote for the nation's best defensive player. Uh, one of the best returners in the country as well. And you think about some of the moments that happened this year, Cooper DeGene's punt return against Michigan State, the one against Minnesota, which I'm not going to go on a, a rant about. But uh, right, I, I didn't realize been... there was a play that counted there. Yeah, I know. I heard it was pretty invalid, actually. Uh, Kirk, Kirk certainly brings it up a little bit, especially after the Nebraska game, he went on about 90 second rant about it. And it was, it's great. I, I love Kirk really not caring about what he says, the media anymore. The personality has been awesome for us to cover, but you're right, man. I mean, just such an unlikely season, but the way I've tried to tell Iowa fans is this, it's the best case scenario, right? You, Iowa gets back to a big 10 title appearance. And that was the minimum for me about, if Kirk's ever going to get back to a title on his tenure, it's this season. Uh, and Brian Ferris won't be coming back next year. They, they they get the best of both worlds. Now Kirk's still ultimately in charge of the offense. I don't think this is all on Brian Ferris, but, you know, arguably the teams for the top five, if not top five players have all been knocked out this season. The running backs, the top two have missed significant time as well throughout the season. Uh, Iowa's third tight end missed three weeks as well. <laughs> they were down to their fourth and fifth string tight ends. And then, of course, Iowa not getting the ball in the perimeter to its wide receivers. Uh, it's been pretty unbelievable to watch uh, with this team. They've only given up three touchdowns in the last six weeks of this season. That's that's wild. <laughs> that is absolutely <laughs> wild. But also, I mean, not unexpected when you look at the box scores, as, as many Michigan fans do, especially, you know, Iowa clinched disappearance of the week to spare you know and that's mm -hmm. you know that maybe says a lot about the big 10 this year and the big 10 west this year uh, maybe the big 10 west in, in many years but um you know that this was a week where iowa not that they sat back and relaxed against nebraska but it was a week where they could have because they were in sure. no matter what uh 10 and 2 7 and 2 in big 10 and big 10 play those two losses were at penn state uh, a game that I think a lot of people watched early in the season that was 31 nothing. Uh, lost to Minnesota on that controversial fair catch call that we do not need to talk about. But we are very close <laughs> to an 11 in one Iowa that could have been playing for a college football playoff spot. Um, certainly, if this were 2024 with a 12 team playoff, it would be yeah. Iowa playing for its spot in the college football playoff. Uh, and doing that despite the fact that Cade McNamara, Eric All, Luke Lachey, Cooper DeGene, you know, I know Iowa puts out depth charts every week, which is something that Michigan does not do, but but it feels like half the team is out. Um, yeah. So I guess two things. Number one, about Caden Eric, uh, because I know a lot of Michigan fans will be interested. I know Michigan players are looking forward to seeing them, even though, of course, they won't be playing. Uh, what what has their transition been like uh, to, to Iowa Hawkeye football? Uh, and then on top of that, are, are there other big names that Mich that Michigan will not be facing because it seems like Iowa half the team is is out? Yeah, no, you're right, man. I mean, you look at this depth chart. Another guy people might want to keep an eye on is center Logan Jones. That's a guy who I think has been a stable 
at center position for Iowa. Great improvements from last year, this year. This isn't your typical standard great Iowa offensive line, but they've they've improved, definitely, especially over the back half of the season. Logan Jones, I still think, has NFL upside. I think he's going to come back another year, but he's not listed on the depth chart. I don't think that's going to eliminate him, but it would not surprise me if after 15, 10 to 20 snaps, they just say, you know what, he just doesn't have it today. He's not going to be 100% till probably next season. Kirk has not specified on what that is, but for Cade and Eric, you know, I, I think Cade really earned a lot of respect immediately from the locker room. I mean, that's a guy in, who arrived in January. I would say he's already be, become a fan favorite just in terms of I'm going to turn around this offense. Like, I, And this is no disrespect to other former Iowa quarterbacks at all, but Cade has the most swagger of anybody I've covered <laughs> at the quarterback position. Like that's a guy who loves to talk. He's very confident in his abilities. He, He's a guy who is a strong leader, and I think what showcased him more than anything else was, despite never suiting up in the black and gold, he was voted team captain after you know in fall fall camp, and I think that speaks volumes to the way his teammates looked at him. Uh, and for Eric, I mean, you've interviewed him. I I loved interviewing Eric. All I think he's a I think he's a really really good dude. On top of everything else, I think he's been dealt a bad hand in terms of injuries, uh, but he and Luke Lachey I thought worked really really well together. Eric, I think, has really embraced kind of the Iowan values, not just from the football standpoint, from the life standpoint. Uh, he's done a lot in the community. I know people have, you know, I've talked to fans who have ran into Eric around town. They say he's been nothing but just extremely personable, just a really good dude. Um, and again, I, I think just the amount of respect that they've earned and all of the Iowa players continue to bring them up as far as, you know, what they mean in practice. I mean, you know, Deacon Hill, you know, he has not lit the world on fire, but again, he hasn't had the help around him to really give him that. But the other thing I would kind of push back when it comes to Deacon Hill is, is he still as competent as any quarterback I was had in the past three years? Like numbers wise, he's still about stacks up, right? Uh, but Deacon Hill said over the last month that Cade McNamara has been a huge help to him just in terms of how to watch film, how to stay calm in big moments and like how to stay focused on his fundamentals. So you know, Kay's already announced he's coming back next season. Uh, I know, I think that's a good thing for Iowa football. Obviously, Kirk and them are very excited about it. Hopefully, Cade can be 100% because he was never 100% uh, since August 12th. He went down with that quad strain, and then obviously the torn ACL happened. And I'll put this out there. Eric All, I'm still not eliminating him coming back to Iowa next season. I mean, I think if he stays healthy, he's 100% gone. I think Iowa's NIL's going to try to throw him a nice little – package to entice him to stay but i know he has a son houston as well uh been two major injuries i mean he might not want to come back and risk it and might just want to try it for the nfl career so it'll be interesting uh to follow there uh and to go back to the players who might not be available deontay vines wide receiver he was not listed on the depth chart but kirk did say on sunday that he feels pretty good about him going uh so when i hear that but i don't see him on the depth chart it's kind of one of those things we're probably gonna have to wait and see but the flip side of that is as well if deontay vines goes he and caleb brown have played the similar position do you take off caleb brown who's arguably been you're not even arguing he's been the best receiver that i was had this season especially over the last month you take him out i don't think so i don't think you can afford to do that well let's talk about some of those offensive weapons um First, glad to hear that about Cade. I think a lot of a lot of Michigan fans 
you know, maybe a little bit conflicted feelings about how he left the program um, and, and the way things ended with, with him in, in 2022, but sure. the guy that Jim Harbaugh said has, has gravel in his stomach and came in in a really brutal 2020 season, got Michigan a win in that year and then got Michigan to the big 10 championship in 2021 and beat Ohio state. He will always be the quarterback who did that at Michigan, no matter how things ended. Um, certainly wish him the best at Iowa, but in terms of guys who will be playing on Saturday, I mean, Brian Ferentz and the Iowa offense have been the talk of college football all season. Um, in some ways self-inflicted because of that contract, because of that threshold, uh, that he, he did not meet. And it does sound like this is it for him. Um, so let's see what we got, right? Uh, you mentioned Deacon Hill at quarterback. Uh, he's, you know, throwing the ball 48.3% completion percentage, five touchdowns, six interceptions at 4.9 yards per attempt. Eric, all you mentioned, he hasn't played since mid-October. He's still the leading receiver. Um, <laughs> top wide receiver, a guy who's actually listed at receiver is Nico Regani, who's been around the program for a while. Uh, I know he had a couple catches uh, last year in that game up. Uh, when Michigan came to Kinnick. Uh, but it looks like this is a, a team that wants to run the ball, right? So so are is it really the offensive weapons? I'm sure it's an offensive line that's solid. Uh, and then a couple running backs, in particular Caleb Johnson, who who seems like mm-hmm. he's come come along a lot lately. Yeah, I mean, another guy I'd throw in there, LaShawn Williams has been nice. I think the most consistent Iowa running back. He's had a couple big runs this year. Uh, only one touchdown, but his yards per carry, like that's a guy who's consistently getting you five yards a run. Like his stats are not overly inflated by multiple, you know, 70, 80 yard runs. It's a guy that continues to move his feet, has been a staple, and I think the worker horse for Iowa. Caleb Johnson, I still think is going to get better and better. I mean, that's a guy who I think has future all Big Ten potential. He's just built like, I call him, a, like he's built like a Greek god, to be honest with you. I mean, he's like 6'3", 225 with an eight pack. The dude is just built like a linebacker. He's built like an NFL back, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, but he's a guy that I, I think needs to continue to learn how to break tackles and not always look for the home run play. You talk about a guy that does hit the home run play or kind of one or two yard carries. That's probably Caleb Johnson more than anything else. Uh, but he's also come up with some big plays for Iowa this year. I mean, go back uh, a few weeks ago, I believe it was against, I think it was against Illinois. He had a 30 yard run to seal the deal to end things there. Uh, he's a guy who just comes up with big plays when Iowa's needed it this season as well. Caleb Brown, who I still think is by far the team's most talented receiver, was not really involved in the game plan through the first eight weeks. I know Michigan fans won't like him due to his ties to Ohio State, the former Ohio State wide receiver. Uh, but that's a guy who I think really has started to get involved, and I think he's going to be a focal point of the offense over the next couple of years, whoever the new offensive coordinator is whether it be John Budmeyer, whether it be Paul Christ, whether it be a couple other people that, you know, Iowa is potentially looking at. Uh, I still knew the receiver position, played high school running back in Illinois, but he's the highest rated wide receiver commit to ever go to the University of Iowa. A great, great skill set, improving route runners. Hands, I think, are going to continue to get better. Uh, did not play in the second half last week against Nebraska. I believe they were evaluating a potential concussion, wasn't feeling 100% there. But it does sound like that Caleb Brown is going to go. Uh, so, again, I, I think Iowa's, Iowa's offense, it's not due to a lack of talent. Like, they are not the nation's least talented offense. Like, they have players. There's been a lot of injuries. 
but they do have some impact players. I I've always said, I think it's the scheme and the play calling more than anything else. Uh, and I know there's several other people that kind of feel that way, but Iowa's offensive line is not as great as it used to be, but they've had some good st- individual performances. They've really improved on the back half of the season. Uh, but in my opinion, what Michigan's going to do is they're going to stack the box. They're going to make Deacon Hill try to beat the secondary over the top. And that's not something Iowa has been great at uh, this season. But I'd also throw in one final name, Addison Estranga, who is the team's third tight end behind Lachey and all. That's a guy where if Eric did not come to campus, they would have been very comfortable with him as the number two option. He's a guy that I think is going to continue that tight end you reputation. He'll be an NFL guy one day, just has not gotten quite uh, quite the experience there. And the last quick point about Deacon Hill as well. Yeah, his completion percentage is not good, but post bye week, I think he's hovering around 56% completion. So, you know, through the first three games, I think he had 35%. Like it was not good at all. It was probably among the worst in, you know, college football in the past 20 years, I would say. Uh, to put you in mildly, but stats are stats. Uh, but he has dramatically improved, I think, over the final like month of the season. We're going to take a quick break, come back, and talk about the Iowa defense. And we're back, folks, on the Michigan Insider at michigan.247sports.com. Behind enemy lines, I'm Alejandro Suniga with David Eicholt from the Iowa Hawkeye Insider. Just previewed that Iowa offense, but let's turn our attention to the bread and butter of this program, and that is Phil Parker and one of the most consistently excellent defenses in the Big Ten, if not the country. This year, Iowa comes in, as usual, with a you know top half Big Ten defense. Uh, what stands out to me is that they have allowed the fewest number of plays of 20-plus yards in the Big Ten by a significant margin. Just 18 plays allowed of 20 or more yards. That's 11 fewer uh, than the second place in the Big Ten, which is Michigan. Uh, so it's Phil Parker. They do the same thing. It feels like every single year they're going to run a four, three with cover two or, or sometimes cover four quarters, but no Cooper to Gene. David, who are the names on yeah. this defense? Who are, who are the guys? Because the, you see these box scores and you see low scores and you see historic unders every single week that <laughs> keep getting lower because they keep not covering, you know, not going over. So who are the guys on this defense? Yeah, it really has been crazy. And by the way, about Phil Parker, I think it's either him or Sheryl Moore for the Broyles Broyles Ward. I think those have to be the top two guys uh, with what Sheryl's done with that offense. And I think the way he handled, you know, Jim Harbaugh being suspended, called a couple of really good games. But I think those two are the top coordinators in the country. But for this Iowa defense, you're right. They run typical 4-3, a lot of quarters. They kind of sit back and they kind of wait for you to make the mistake. And I think that's something that has obviously helped Iowa over the years. But when you look at Michigan, they're incredibly disciplined. I think J.J. McCarthy, it was interesting him saying he thought he was a risk taker today. And I'm not saying he's like a a cautious quarterback by any means because he hasn't backed down from anything. But that's a guy who takes care of the football for the most part. In my opinion, that just deals well with the rest of the team as well. Uh, But the guys I look for starts up front, Jay Higgins, middle linebacker. I mean, he's third in the country in tackles. He's first among power five teams, has 140 tackles this season. He's just, he has a nose for the football. He loves defending the run. And I know that's going to be a guy that is really excited about the Blake Corum challenge. And, you know, Iowa fans might be cringing hearing that Blake felt like he's a hundred percent because he's 80% last time out against Iowa. And 
2021, he broke off, I think, that, what, 60-yard touchdown run? Maybe it was a little bit farther than that. Uh, but Jay Higgins is a guy who's been one of the biggest leaders of the team, tackling machine. Another guy I'd throw in there as well as another linebacker, Nick Jackson. I mean, the Virginia transfer this season. Talk about a guy who, you know, Phil Parker and Seth Wallace would have killed to have there for the entire career. I mean, that's a guy who has about 80 tackles this season. Iowa's used him a lot in the past couple weeks in the blitz game. That's a guy who's not afraid to go through the gaps and, and lay some hits on the quarterback as well. Has good speed, not a bad cover guy. Got a lot of coverage snaps in the first three weeks this season. I think that has really helped him over the course of the year as well. And then I'll even stay in the middle. I, I think Cash Sebastian Castro, talk about a guy who has really emerged as an NFL prospect. One of the hardest hitting guys on this Iowa defense. They use him a lot in those blitzes. And you look if you look at the you know the defensive back of the year, you know that all the you know all of Phil Parker's guys that he's gotten. Geno Stone played the cash position. Uh, Amani Hooker played the cash position. Uh, it's just Dane Belton played that position. I mean, these are all NFL starting safeties now, guys that were up there for defensive back of the year or won it. And Castro's really emerged. He's a guy who had a pick six earlier this year, could have had a second one as well, uh, forced a few fumbles, comes up a couple of fumble recoveries, has had a couple critical fourth down stops. Used as a blitz guy, used as a guy who covers a slot, used as a guy who goes up against tight ends. He's going to be all over the field, and that's a guy with a – he's just a man on a mission. He's been great there. Uh, as far as the defensive line, you know, a couple guys just to keep an eye on that haven't been really eye-popping statistically. I may go in the middle, Y.A. Black and Aaron Graves and Logan Lee, uh, especially if Michigan's going to try to go, you know, trying to own the trenches, and especially with, you know, Zinter out. Uh, and he was obviously All-American guard for Michigan. He's been one of the best players in the country, in my opinion. Certainly will be praying for him. Uh, I'm really curious if that changes Michigan's approach or if they have their same kind of confidence in, in the backup and if they're going to kind of go at some of these guys. Uh, and I, another guy I throw in there is Joe Evans. Undersized defensive end, sixth-year senior, 6'2", 250. But that's a guy who, again, he can make things happen. Has led the team and I believe he's top five in school history in sacks. Uh, you know, he's a guy that has gotten better in the run game, but he's more so used as, as I think, a very good pass rusher, even going up against some of those oversized offensive tackles. So Iowa safeties are solid. Uh, but as you mentioned, like they just don't allow big plays. They they will take getting beat on the underneath routes all day as long as they don't go over the top. That's why it was so shocking to be, uh, to me at least last week, when Iowa was so aggressive against Nebraska. And I don't know if Phil Parker is doing that as a way to compensate with Cooper DeGene being out or if that was just a strategy because Iowa got beat for a 66-yard touchdown last week when they faked the double safety blitz. And Deshaun Lee, who, by the way, is replacing Cooper, he's been very, very good. I think he's going to be a very good cornerback in the Big Ten over the next couple of seasons. But Deshaun Lee thought the safeties were back in position to help him, so he's kind of blocking the guy downfield like he had safety help. He didn't have safety help. Uh, so, again, I don't know if this changes Phil Parker's strategy on trying to be aggressive with J.J. McCarthy or if they're going to run sort of that typical, you know, Iowa defense that you already mentioned as well. Yeah, it Iowa doesn't do a lot, which is what J.J. McCarthy <laughs> said. They don't do a lot, but they do it really well. And uh, for for most teams, most college football teams, mistakes happen. Um, and yeah, very interested to see 
yeah, the the risk taker uh, thing that JJ said today perked my ears up given the defense that he is about to face. Uh, but he is not someone who has made many mistakes this year and Michigan's running backs are not uh, backs who have fumbled the ball uh, very frequently, if at all, this year. Um, another area, final area that we don't usually touch on on this show, but we have to when it's Iowa. Um, listen, I was in, I was at Kinnick and on the outskirts of Kinnick last year, and the number of shirts that I saw that said, we're here to see the punter, um, or punting is winning, or something along those lines was very funny to me. Um, but then I saw Tory Taylor punt and I've seen Tory Taylor punt and I would also pay money to go watch him punt. And someday, probably pretty soon, people will be paying him money to punt the football. Um, so special teams in 2021, it was, that was one of like the underlying stories of that game for Michigan and Iowa is these are two very good special teams units year in and year out. They are once again, right? Michigan has, Mm -hmm. I think the last two weeks, you could say the game was tipped because Michigan had the better special teams units against Maryland and certainly last week against Ohio State. Torrey Taylor, probably the best punter Michigan will face, Um, probably potentially the best punter Iowa has had in its history and a long lineage of good punters. On the other hand, kicker Drew Stevens, I saw last week, really struggled. He had a couple blocked kicks. He also had a couple kickoffs out of bounds. Uh, I think Iowa brought in the backup kicker for the game winner at the end. Um, so a lot of moving pieces there. Uh, but real quick, David, special teams, very good, excellent. Any any other things of note there? I, I would say excellent if Cooper DeGene was still healthy. Because I, I think Cooper DeGene's one of the best partners in the country. Uh, Iowa's not taking a lot of risks in the kick return game. Tory Taylor really hasn't had his best couple weeks though either and that's something i'm intrigued is being in an nfl stadium going to help him and take him out of some of these elements but i'd also make the excuse that you know was tory not good the last couple weeks because he's worn out because he leads the nation in punting i mean he's gotten a lot of work out this year but again people laugh about but it's been the best like some of the best plays for iowa is pinning him back deep iowa gets safety iowa forces a fumble allows the offense a chance to be opportunistic but you're right, man. I mean, Tory Taylor, it's probably between him and Reggie Roby for the best punters in Iowa history. But yeah, uh, Drew Stevens, I still think he's a really good kicker. I think there were some bad protections in the field goal. You know, I don't think the snap was great. But of course, Drew is kind of kicking him low as well. Uh, but I've seen Drew Stevens hit some big kicks. He has a major leg. And the guy I mentioned, Marshall Meter, former Central Michigan kicker, Joined the team two weeks before school started because LeVar Woods texted him. And Meter was about ready to walk away from football because he's an engineering major. He stopped working out. LeVar texted him, <laughs> asking me he wants to come be a Hawkeye. Marshall gets here and his first kick of the year, almost a year ago to the day, his last kick was to go in there with four seconds left and kick the game winner against Nebraska. Like it's it's so Iowa. It hurts everybody else, and I just laugh about it. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think Iowa special teams is still really good. Uh, they've not been great over the past couple of weeks, but I know LeVar Woods. I, I've i seen Iowa come up with too many great special teams packages, uh, whether it be blocks or returns, for me to say, you know what, I'm worried about that in this game. I, I do think that they're going to come out and have a much better performance than they've had over the past couple of weeks. Now, does that mean they have the full advantage? I don't want to say that. 
but this is still a very good Iowa special teams unit, in my opinion. Well, it all comes down to Saturday uh, at Lucas Oil Stadium. It is the Big Ten Championship. It is the last Big Ten Championship uh, that's going to feel quite like this. Um, so a little yeah. bit bittersweet in terms <laughs> of a changing conference, uh, a changing college football landscape, but two seasons that have been memorable uh, for very different reasons for Iowa and for Michigan um, and special in their own way. And another chapter in those stories on Saturday night, David, thank you so much for taking us behind enemy lines. It was great seeing you at big 10 media day. Great connecting with you here and looking forward to seeing you down in Indianapolis for the big 10 championship 2023. I appreciate you, but I look forward to seeing you too. And that'll do it for this week's episode of behind enemy lines. Man, I am so pumped to go back to Indianapolis. I feel like I go down there basically every other week. (laughs) It certainly feels that way. What with Big Ten media days for basketball and for football. Michigan has played the Big Ten basketball tournament there. They've played NCAA tournaments there. Uh, But the ones that stand out, of course, are 2021, 2022, 2023, early December. Just a crowd a world of Michigan fans descending on Indianapolis to come watch their football team compete for a Big Ten championship. It I grew up not seeing that happen, ever. I grew up not watching Michigan beat Ohio State. I grew up seeing them only lose to Ohio State. That's what it felt like. It felt like a tradition, just like watching the Lions lose on Thanksgiving, is you enjoy the time with your family, And then you get really bummed out because the Lions can't win and neither can Michigan. And things are so much different right now. Um, It is very, very exciting. And I'm looking forward to a potential college football playoff trip. I am looking forward to to seeing the heights that this football team can reach. Uh, Maybe getting over the hump in a college football playoff semifinal. Maybe getting over the hump in a championship game. Uh, But... I don't want to forget how special it is just that they are here, just that they are going to Indianapolis to raise another banner, to have three straight. Never been done before. Michigan has never won three outright Big Ten titles before. 144 years of Michigan football have been played. Michigan has won more games than any other team in the country, and they have never done this before. Got a shot to do it on Saturday. And I hope to see you there.